Welcome to the Home Lab Show, episode 72, out of band management and all the options around it. So yes, we're going to be talking about, because Jay just did a video on it, the tiny pilot, but someone will undoubtedly be mashing the comments going, what about the Pi KVM? Of course, we'll mention that too, which you can yep. believe run that on the same hardware. There's a few projects out there. Uh, we may even use just the general word KVM because I know Jay referenced them and realized how extensive they are, but we're going to talk about all the reasons you might want to have this. We figure it's a pretty good home lab topic because some motherboards are going to have it. Those are great. The new ones are expensive, but the workarounds, well, we'll talk about in different methodologies. Before we get into that, a place where you don't necessarily need lights out management, but they have a method to do this is Linode, sponsor of the show. And uh, yeah, they've got a great way you can manage everything and up, you can upload ISOs there and things like that, build some of your own stuff, can't you, Jay? Well, you can DD directly to the instance because you can yes. put it into recovery console. You can you could actually take an image of your machine and you could even create your own locally and then DD that right up to Linode and run something that's not even on their list. Yes. Uh, Jay's got a few videos on Linode already. They're a great sponsor of the show. If you're listening to the show, it was literally brought to you by Linode. That's where we host all of the uh, WordPress and everything and all the downloads for the show. But we thank them for being a sponsor and uh, play with all their fun stuff they have on there in their marketplace. I have some new videos I'll be doing on Linode as well pretty soon because uh, they've added some more things. Like I believe they recently got their Ubiquity installer on there for the Unified Controller software. So I'll be excited to play with that. Offer code down below to get started with Linode. And let's jump into today's topic. Yep. Lights out. Now, I, I figure this is definitely related to the home lab, even though a lot of you are probably saying, but my server is an arm's length away or my server is just in that closet over there or just downstairs. And yeah, the moment that your server has some issue that goes down and one of them, you can't figure out why because you can't SSH into it. Um, and you're not at home, but you are sitting there remotely with a laptop, you will wish you had this for sure. <laughs> and yep. I even make sure even any of the lab stuff that we put together, even for my lab, because my lab is physically, um, well, I live relatively close, but I, my new studio is at home and my uh, lab is at my office uh, for space reasons. And yeah, it's it's small things you really want to have is access to the console when th something goes wrong. And that's why we figured it's probably a good topic on there. It's also good training and understanding uh, for the things you will very likely run into when you're dealing with enterprise equipment, uh, whether you're managing it, you don't necessarily want to. And even when it is just a room away, it's really convenient to be able to get to the console and get into the BIOS settings when, well, it won't boot. And you want to be able to do that and you want to do it from your keyboard, nice, comfy spot and remotely. So that's why we picked this topic. Yep. Uh, which one should we start with? Probably buying old servers, what to look for on them. I think that's a good place to start. I'll add something to what you just said, too. I just ran into this issue where, you know, I think I solved it. I don't know. You know, it's kind of like home lab. It, it, <laughs> like it hasn't been showing the problem in a while. But what ended up happening is that one of my um, Proxmox nodes ended up just deciding that it every now and then just wants to drop the uh, 10 gig card. I mean, just, you know, it could work all day long. And then usually around 10 at night, you know, a great time for this to happen. All of a sudden I get a notice that it's off the network and it's like, what's going on? So this was a situation where I used, in my case, IPMI. I have a few servers that have IPMI and, and a few that don't. But IPMI allowed me to see right what was on the screen when I couldn't access it. And it, you know, right on the login screen, some text was saying, you know, the, the card was dropped from the bus. So that would explain why I couldn't access it. 
so I could access the BIOS, I could re, you know, reset it or whatever I have to do, or even just in my case, log in when it's not on the network at all, because it dropped the card, I could log in, reboot it. And then uh, when it comes back up, check the logs and whatnot. So um, the, and like you were saying, you, you could have it at an arm's length away, but a lot of us don't. My other server room is, is so um, cluttered. I don't even show it on footage at all. <laughs> and I can't get a monitor in there. If I tried, I would probably trip over something. And, you know, it, don't be like me. Have a server room that's organized. Anyway, um, that really helped out for me. But in my case, it's probably a good example as well, because like I mentioned, a few of my servers have IPMI and then, um, you know, some don't. Some have iDRAC. So I think that's a good example of like what the other, uh, what the options are and what the differences are between them. So IPMI, for example, is built into um, a lot of motherboards. I mean, Supermicro being a good example of that. Supermicro ASRock. Yep. You can go right on into a web browser, navigate to the IP address. It's a separate IP address for IPMI than it is for, um, you know, the any cards or the systems NIC that you might have. So you get this IP address, you can log in. And iDRAC is basically the same thing. We're at very high level here. There's a lot of differences, but the use case is the same. And yeah. iDRAC, you log in through a web browser, and that's going to be with Dell servers. Dell PowerEdge servers has that. iDRAC is specific yep. to Dell. And yep. HP has theirs called uh, ILO. ILO Lights Out Management oh, yeah. is the one for HP. Yep. So there's different solutions. And as we're going to explore... Your, the solution might be awesome. Like in my case, IPMI, my super micro servers, HTML5 requires no plugins. Just go to the you know IP address, add your or type in your username and password, and that's it. You just navigate the interface. It's pretty straightforward. And again, key here, no plugins. And this is going to be yes. something we'll be talking about. Whereas with iDRAC, whether or not you need a plugin depends on the version of iDRAC that you have. And how old it is. Of your server. So... Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that error messaging is probably a really important one because you want to know that last message that the server gave before it decided not to respond to network and, you know, losing the network interface on the bus. Yeah, we can reboot the server and we probably come back up and running. But uh, that is another convenient feature of the IPMI to go, what did it do? I also like to watch them when I'm doing updates. I know will require a reboot, you know, Zen server, some of the XCPNG. Uh, I get to watch it reboot and make sure all those things or if there's something scrolling by. Because if it doesn't get to the boot process, I don't have an option to examine all the logs. Um, but yep. we'll start with the Dell ones because this is where I think a lot of home labbers start because Dell is really popular in the home lab market. Uh, and your budget will determine what version of iDRAC you get, essentially. Now, the good news is yeah. the iDRAC systems on Dell, one, you want to go for the enterprise iDRAC. If you want the full remote control features, when you're looking for used servers, you want to look specifically for the ones with enterprise iDRAC. The other nice advantage you get with the enterprise iDRAC is the most of them, I mean, there may be exceptions to this, majority of them are going to have a dedicated extra interface for it. And you want this because I really strongly believe whether you're using ASRock, whether you're using a Dell, whatever version you're using, make sure that it's on a separate network for security reasons, because you don't necessarily want that to be accessible. Uh, I'm trying to remember which company it was, but it, it's been a couple of them that have had some security incidents. There was a few data centers that left massive amounts of their networks where people could pivot to them. Uh, really easily to the IPMI. And that was actually the source of, well, some mm -hmm. drama for them. Uh, so you really want to make sure that these are separate. Your lights out management network should be, is separated in a more 
physical way, not just a VLAN. Um, I've seen this. We actually did some consulting with the data center recently. We were just going over all their infrastructure and it, they said they couldn't get insured unless it was verified that it was all separate. So I thought that was cool. <laughs> so I was like, okay, great. Yeah. It's, yeah, they actually said it was part of their insurance policy. Their insurer understood the need for it at the data centers um, because of the sensitivity of what they host. And so they said it's actually physically separate. It is a independent separate network that manages anyone's iTrack uh, and it's extremely limited who can access it. So following those policies, even if you're building your home lab makes a lot of sense now mm -hmm. with the dell enterprise one of the nice things about them and i to my knowledge they still sell them this way someone please correct me in the comments if this has changed and i've just been not made aware of it but all the older ones uh are all perpetual licenses i like that a lot because this can be a problem with some companies that have licenses and i think hp's one of those companies that has confusing licenses attached uh, for things but the dell's perpetual so if you have a fully enabled enterprise uh, iTrack on a Dell, you get all the features even when it transfers to the next owner. You don't have to re-register yep. it or anything like that. Now, here's what the downside is. Like Jay mentioned, the stupid Java thing you have to run. Oh, Everything was gosh. in Java for a long time when they did these. So you had to use, and there's different ways to do it. So one way was to, on Linux, uh, Windows, just load Java and run the little Java applet it downloads. In Linux, uh, there's a plugin called Iced T. And that, if you type in like Iced T Java Linux, it's pretty simple. It's usually in most of the repositories. It is for the Ubuntu-based uh, distributions. It, you can run it from there. Uh, you have to say yes a lot because it'll have a bunch of applet questions that you just kind of yes your way through it and then you'll get a less than wonderful but workable screen on those. Uh, this was yeah. probably back to the iDRAC 7 series. I think the earlier 8s. Once you go to the iDRAC 9, it's all HTML5 and simple. I think there is a later version of 8 that offers HTML5, but... Yeah, yeah. There was one that got a that got an update in the firmware, um, and, and that's one of the things that's really confusing about iDRAC and why we're probably going to be talking about this, like this segment being longer than most because of how confusing it is. So, you could have two home lammers that both get a Dell PowerEdge server from eBay or something, and they could have a completely different experience. Like one person might access the iDRAC works perfectly fine, no plugins, it's right there in the browser. The other person, like you're saying, there might not be a license for the iDRAC that came with the server, or maybe there is a license for that iDRAC, and like you were saying, you buy it, buy that server, it, it sticks with that iDRAC card, that's pretty cool. But then it could be the older version and any Java. Now, in my experience, um, you know, the way that you mentioned how it all plays out, that's correct. That's what you want if you're stuck with an older iDRAC, but you don't want Java at the same time. But yeah. the problem for me it can be worked is around. <laughs> I, I was not able to get that to work last time I tried it in any browser, even with the plugin. Like there were so many, like I said yes to everything for that particular instance in my test, and it was still blocked in the browser. And the browsers at this point are doing everything they can to get, you know, basically just get. Uh, Java out of the equation. And why is that? Well, you have to understand the slogan for Java. The official slogan is write once, exploit everywhere. That's what, well, that's not what, you know, Java says on the website, but that's what I say the slogan is because it's a play on there. Um, write once, uh, run everywhere, isn't it? Or deploy everywhere, something like that. But it's yeah. write once, exploit everywhere because it's a security concern and all these hoops you have to jump through. If you get it working, 
then is the Java plugin sandboxed or is it going to be like lowering the security of your entire system? Yes. Now, this is the problem because depending on the version of iDRAC you get, you may have the HTML5 version or not. You may have a license or not. So look at the, if you're buying a server and it just happens to be Dell, you can look at the description. If it's licensed, a lot of times they'll tell you because that's noteworthy. And another option that I, I recommend if you have one of the older ones that can't be updated. Now I say, a, I say recommend, but it's a soft recommendation. It's actually a container. I haven't tried it myself. So keep that in mind. But basically my understanding is that this is a container image and you run this container and it has everything that iDirect needs inside of it. And it does some kind of a VNC proxy. So you can see, um, yeah, actually see what's going on in the iDirect without worrying about anything. Because if Java's in the container and you're only running that container just long enough to get into your iDRAC and do what you have to do, then you shut the container down. There's no security risk at that point. Uh, well, right. no extra one, depending on how secure the rest of your system is. But right. these are some hoops that you have to jump through with iDRAC, which makes iDRAC either really super awesome or incredibly tedious, depending on what how you end up getting. Yeah. And I'll add to the confusion here. Someone had posted in the comments, and they are correct. Um, iDRAC 7 does have, because I I logged in one of the old servers we have, iDRAC 7 does support HTML5, so I was wrong about how old it is. But where I went to the About page. I'm using, it says iDRAC 7 at the top. But when you go to the About page, it says version 2.6.1.6.6.0 uh, build 08. So... Um, it's kind of strange why it calls it iDRAC 7, but the version number starts 2.6.1. So nonetheless, it is mm. it is a uh, HTML5 interface on that one. I know the newer ones are all HTML5, so I guess you can go back to iDRAC 7 and get um, HTML5. And you can look this up. If you're buying one of these servers used on eBay, there's still some good servers that may still have that old Java, but whatever you can, go HTML5. Your life is easier. It works in a browser. By the way, sorry, people who love Firefox, you may find yourself opening some of these in Chrome. Uh, there has been some bugs where the it, it just the HTML5 sometimes doesn't work. I don't know if it's a specific version or an older version, but I've seen it not work in some of the Firefox. Uh, it's the way it's it's not specifically Chrome like Google Chrome. It works in Chromium-based browsers. Uh, you'll run into that with some of these where that seems to be a, a prerequisite. Not all the time, but you may just of note if you it gives you a weird loading error. I've seen that problem uh, on some of them. I don't think it's a Dell. I think the Dell one works in both Firefox and that. But yeah. nonetheless, that covers a lot of the Dell stuff that you might be looking for on there. Another um, comment that I'll make about that is um, if you get a, you know, let's just say you get an iDRAC that is HTML5 compatible or it's, it doesn't even have to be iDRAC because I, I noticed this with IPMI, the one that I have. And you log in and it, it basically says you need the Java plugin. Then you might think, well, wait a minute. This one is supposed to be the one ah, that yes. supports HTML5. Why does it say Java? Well, you'll have an HTML5 button that you can click that's yes. separate from the main one because they might still have that interface for legacy purposes. But uh, you I, they can default just, to Java all yeah. the time. And I have no idea right. why. So, yes. <laughs> because an enterprise you know, where these things came from. I mean, think of how long the enterprise kept Internet Explorer alive, for example. Yeah. So these things stick around a while. <laughs> so they're probably just trying to avoid complaints like, well, I was set up for, or my browser was set up for this and now it doesn't work. What's going on? Um, so they have that legacy thing in there. Personally, I think 
legacy should be killed quickly and whatever company isn't ready for it, it's their fault for not being ready but I, that's not a popular opinion so we'll just yeah. pretend i didn't say and it's, that so. it's also it's easier said than done right <laughs> so. it, it is yeah um so that's like you said that's uh basically idrac get the newest version you can for the server model that you're ordering because even if it's like a let's say a r710 or something there could have been like several different versions of idrac sold through the life of that server so just having that model of server doesn't mean you necessarily have a specific version of idrac because again there's multiple versions so get the highest version check and see if it's uh licensed from the seller or wherever you're getting it from yep. and once if you do all that you should be fine yeah you should be good to go on that so the um the next one we're talking about is obviously we mentioned Supermicro a few times. A lot of the Supermicros, I actually think pretty much most all the equipment they make has that option on it. All I their server I. equipment does. Yep. Uh, and it's really nice. And the same thing, the older ones are going to have that. So when you're looking for any of the use servers with the Supermicro series, uh, check that out. They usually, most of the ones I've seen pretty universally come with a dedicated port for it, uh, which is great. You don't have to worry about trying to, you know, parse that out of one of the other ports because sometimes they're bound to, if there's two network ports, they'll be bound to one of them and not have the separate, but you can, same thing, they'll have a separate on there. Now, mm -hmm. if you want to start with building your own stuff, and it's actually very similar, like it's kind of like how BIOS manufacturers, there's only a few of them, the uh, IPMI and lights out management tools, there's only a few of them out there because the one that I noticed in AS, uh, the AS Rock Rack series are also seem to be the same ones that are in the Gigabyte uh, motherboard series that has these as well. And I'll be doing some upcoming videos because we built some new lab servers based on the AS Rock Rack series uh, X57 X570D4U. There's a link I threw in the description uh, uh, for this particular board. Now these are really nice, and if you're building a server, it's kind of a price points problem. The price jumps up substantially for these particular boards, but they're the you know more commercially driven boards that really work really well. But their lights out management has a lot of conveniences, and this board right here supports specifically the AMD Ryzen series processors. But one of the problems you may run into, and this is kind of a nice thing about being able to do lights out management, if you're doing different or newer generation processors that maybe the BIOS doesn't have support for, you can even get all your BIOS updates and everything set up for these. So it actually added some convenience. We had to do some BIOS updating uh, when we first got this. Uh, there was a couple of little things that we were having problems with. I have notes on it that I won't get into here. But nonetheless, you can buy these boards with lights out management uh, for, I don't think, a completely unreasonable price. This board is roughly in the $400 range or some that are a little bit cheaper. Uh, but it, if you're building something new, you can build something that has all this lights out management feature on there. I know it's an investment if you're building it in your home lab, but if you're looking at new boards, um, I would definitely steer towards these. They add all the conveniences that we talked about at the beginning for getting things done and managing remotely. So uh, yeah, check those out. There's plenty of manufacturers that have it on there. And once you don't have to plug in or uh, use video on it at all, life just gets simpler because uh, we actually are building, well, we built three of them. And so we just, you know, set them all up on a separate network for management. I can see the screens of all of them. Uh, you can load them. Now to go further, they have the ability to add media to these. And 
uh, the newer Dells have this ability. Well, you can actually attach ISOs to them and actually set up your installers. This is really convenient because now without popping in a USB to reload it, you can completely remotely reload the operating system, reconfigure it and get things going on it without ever having to come and physically touch it. Uh, this is actually used in the data center level a lot where they'll have, you know, maybe a local storage server because some of them will allow you to mount SMB shares and maybe have an ISO set up with a series of SMB shares or sometimes you can just direct attach them if you know the operating system you're going to be loading and if there's ever a problem with the machine you have complete remote access to get it restored get it done and of course you can put bootable usbs in these and leave them in there uh, and use them for that use case where you have the os flash on a usb you just don't set it to the boot device but hey if something goes wrong you can go in, reconfigure, reload. Uh, the conveniences are uh, stellar for being able to do that and have it on there. So, yeah, but you have to tell your admins about that because I remember earlier in my career, I ran into a situation where I had somebody I was, you know, talking to over the phone and walking them through uh, doing, you know, fixing something for the company server. And I rebooted the machine, and he's like, "It's booting into Windows Setup." I'm like, "What? How?" Yeah. And like, is there a USB key somewhere? No. What? What do you mean there's no USB key? How is it booting into Windows setup? If it, Like, is there a DVD drive? Yeah. Is there a disk in there? No. Oh, and that's when I discovered that there's, you know where I'm going with this. Yeah. And that's where I discovered that some of these servers actually have a USB port on the motherboard and some yes. admins will actually put a, put the OS installer right on it. Um, probably shouldn't make that the first boot choice though, just saying. Uh, that's a little unusual, but um, yeah, that's actually very common. And I found out the hard way. We, we spent, we spent a good amount of time trying to figure out why windows setup kept coming up. Yeah. 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 This, it, you, you look even the super micro that, um, <laughs> see Xavier joined us here. Uh, that's one of the things that I uh, like the super micro that I, uh, Jay's using. Um, it's got the USBs internally. These are common for a lot of them. Uh, but it's also something you can set up if you're, going to do this for a business and you don't necessarily want to drive out there, but Hey, things go wrong. Something went completely haywire. At least you can get some of the reload process and things started that way. Maybe mm -hmm. even do a recovery. If you have images you can send on there, um, you know, having all that remote access in there is really handy. Now let's move on to what happens when you don't. And what about these fancy Retarian KVMs? I think you had brought those up in your uh, uh, recent yeah. tiny pilot video. Um, yeah. I don't really understand why uh, it maybe it's just a, ma a mass manufacturing problem, even used when you look at some of the IP based KVMs, they're expensive. They are genuinely, I think used the one you pulled up was in the $1,800 range. Does that sound it, right? Jay? It was. Yeah. And, and it's kind of funny when I, um, you know, when I put that in the video, because then uh, Veronica, who, you know, our audience might know from Veronica Explains, messaged me. And apparently that person, that that random eBay post was near her hometown. And I think she might even know the um, resellers, actually, that are putting that on eBay. What are the odds? But yeah, they are very expensive. And I've never known how to pronounce that. I, I hope I pronounced it right in the video. I say I said Raritan or Raritan. It's, yeah, Raritan, I think maybe I might. I might. Yeah, there's an I before it, so it's rare tan. We're probably both wrong at the end of the day, honestly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, those are some pretty pricey KVM systems. Uh, 
it's one of those things that a lot of people ask about it and it's a common question and they go, you know, where can I get a cheap one? And the most popular brand that I'm aware of is those. And they're really slick the way they work. They're essentially like a rack mounted one U appliance. And then they're going to use uh, the network as a transport to be able to connect to it. I really wanted to build these when we started setting up our office for uh, when we did a lot more retail computer repair, but it became impractical from the price standpoint. I couldn't believe how much they wanted, but, we're not saying not to do it. We're saying there's another solution. Mm -hmm. And that video Jay did. Now, there's more than one project based around this. You have the tiny pilot project, which is not really a project, more of a product. The difference is it's still based on a lot of the open source stuff. It's still based on Raspberry Pi, but they sell it as a complete go ahead and get started kit. Then you have the Pi KVM. That's just a big DIY kit with a GitHub link to lots of the ways you find the parts and assemble it. So either one of those are good and they're both based on Raspberry Pi. It kind of depends on, do you want to assemble it and put it together yourself? That's a fun project. Probably a lot of home lab people might lean that way. Or do you just want one out of the box that works, that has an update process and everything uh, to set it up? But either one of these are good solutions for any existing board. But how much was that uh, tiny pilot? Yeah, I think it was three fifty nine ninety nine U.S. dollars, and then um, POE, the version I reviewed, had that extra. But what I really liked about it, I mentioned this in the video. Obviously, people are gonna say, "Hey, that's a lot of money. I can't really, you know, why are you just blindly recommending this thing that's nearly four hundred dollars?" Um, and that's true, right? Because we all, not all of us has, have money to, to spend on these things, but then that same company on, on their website has a blog post where they say, here's how you just make one of your own for less than a hundred dollars, which tells me, you know, the home lab mindset works out really well, because if you just so happen to have a raspberry Pi lying around because, you know, God forbid, trying to actually find one right now, and you don't have anything in mind to use it for, you could look at that blog post and find out what extra components you might need. For example, you might need a HDMI to VGA adapter, which you'll need one that's USB powered. They, they have that on the site there. Um, you might only need a few extra things. And if you have access to a 3D printer, even better, because then you could print a case for it. And then for less than $100 or way less than $100, if you already have a Raspberry Pi, then essentially uh, for $40, $50 or so, you, you have a whole solution around right. that. But this is where, you know, one of the cool things I seen, I think someone asked this question in your video. I don't know if you responded to it yet, but they asked, could you take the Pi KVM and hook it up to which KVMs? And we actually tested this when in as I did a review of the Tiny Pilot as well. And we had did some testing with this. And you can find some lists that have been maintained of like eight port KVM switches that work with the Pi KVM. So what this allows you to do is make it really easy. You got eight computers or more you want to, or, you know, I would say eight because it's an eight port one. Um, but you have like a few computers you want to hook up, you buy one Pi KVM, set it up, configure it, and it talks to a generic, like you would sit in front of it type KVM. And they have the instructions on how to set up to switch between all the different systems on there. So take that, Retarian, because <laughs> you can buy those right. eight port ones used for relatively cheap. And now you've got your IP KVM solution at a home lab or affordable price. You know, it's a little yep. bit... So there are solutions and workarounds out there. Uh, there is a list, though. You just Google multi-port KVM over. Uh, if you, it's on the uh, Pi KVM docs. They have they maintain a whole list of it over there. And because Pi KVM is so similar to the Tiny Pilot, I believe that any of those, I can't guarantee them until you test them, but they should work. The little bit of limited testing we did, uh, we didn't have a problem getting our uh, Tiny Pilot working with a couple small KVMs. We had 
uh, laying around the office. You just have to make sure that the key presses, whatever those are, um, the sequence of them will go through the Pi KVM because some of the KVMs will only let you press buttons. Well, obviously those that's not working because you're not you're not able to press buttons on on right. there physically. Um, but nonetheless, it's it's another workaround solution for um, to get that going. And, and since the first time I reviewed the Tiny Pilot, because the new one, you know, was a new review. Um, I I reviewed it before, you know, when it first came out. I think or near the time it first came out, and. Since then, they added the ability to boot from an ISO image. You can actually upload an ISO image to the Tiny Pilot. Yes. And then what, what happens is you go into the BIOS, you choose the boot order. You can actually set the Tiny Pilot itself as the first boot option. So if you have an ISO mounted, it'll just boot into that. And, and you can do that. I mentioned power over Ethernet. Now, this is way overkill. But as you're talking about the eight port uh, KVM or HDMI, or what was that, like an attachment or a... Um, HDMI splitter that was eight port that you put yeah. on the um, KVM. Yeah. So basically the one idea I had, again, this is overkill is getting a server chassis mounting the raspberry Pi inside mounting that inside and then, you know, terminating the ends at the end and just have a whole rack <laughs> mount solution. That's based on raspberry Pi again, overkill completely unnecessary, but sometimes overkill and unnecessary is the most attractive to us because it's just so cool. Um, and you could have like a whole Raritan equivalent that is rack mounted based on Raspberry Pi with the ability to have multiple servers. And it'll still cost you less than even with the inflated uh, Raspberry Pi prices probably still will cost you less than the actual Raritan. And it, it, something that you made. How cool would that be? If anyone does that, please send us photos. OK, Absolutely. that'd be so cool to see. But you could absolutely do it because us home labbers, we're creative. We love to build things. And um, we, so I think if you're a home labber, it's either build your own or just use any parts you might have to build your own if uh, you have the parts. And if you could find a Raspberry Pi if you don't already have one. But if that's not you and you are a business and you need a turnkey solution, you could just order the already made version of that, which I suspect businesses would be like the biggest customer for that $350 version. Whereas, uh, People like us were probably reading that article that says, here's how to build it for under $100. That's probably what we're going to be doing. Yeah. And I'm positive of you, you have the Raspberry Pi laying around and you just need the couple extra accessories. So, <laughs> yeah. It's a moment you've been training for. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that's all we have for uh, all the lights out management. I, there's, it's not a deep topic, but it's a topic I thought worth covering. Yep. Because of some of those ideas on there. I made sure I updated a description to include Jay's Tiny Pilot video. I mm -hmm. also included the link for those of you that want to know uh, which KVM switches work with the Pi KVM. So you can look at those. And the nice thing is the ones you list are not like brand new ones. They're actually some older um, generic ones that I'm positive you can find on eBay for a pretty cheap price. Actually, I'm going to I'm going to look at one. And well, their bonus is they're even uh, HDMI ones, which is kind of cool. So what does this one? Yeah, go that is really eBay? cool, too. Yeah. A lot of a lot of the servers we'll be using will most likely have VGA because of the age of the server, but um, that's nothing that a VGA adapter can't solve pretty easily anyway. So yeah, there's like one of the ones listed is the uh, looks like it's called Test Smart uh, eight port and $115 going on eBay right now. Buy it now. So you you know that's you you buy that in the Pi KVM. You're still you're building a pretty robust solution for your home lab for 
a pretty reasonable budget, provided you actually need it and you don't have a home lab with a bunch of uh, displays on it. So if you if you already have the home lab and you've already built everything with a bunch of old Dells and you get the iDRAC Enterprise, well, you know, that's that's the other solution we talked about first. So <laughs> I, I could, you know, I, I was kind of reminded strangely of, uh, I used to have a computer repair business a long time ago. It was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. And I was just kind of thinking, like, if back then we had something like the Tiny Pilot, how much easier would it be for a computer repair shop? Again, a business can afford this. This isn't something a home lab could do. But if you work for a repair shop, you might like this idea. Getting like, I don't know, anywhere from five to 10, uh, you know, KVMs, Tiny Pilots. And then just instead of having like a monitor, like a, you know, manual KVM switch, you could just you know, line the customer's computers up that you're fixing and then have each one on a on a KVM. And then just from one workstation, you could just multitask and fix all the computers in one shot. You don't even have to um, you yeah. have a lot smaller of uh, space there. I mean, there's so many use cases. I don't think you could get away with uh, playing a Nintendo Switch off of a um, tiny pilot. It would absolutely show it, but I don't think that would work. But there's probably a lot of clever use cases that I'm yeah. uh, not thinking. About. We we had that. We have a eight port. We still had it's still actually at my office when we did retail computer repair. Uh, mm -hmm. We had an eight port, so we could so one tech could work on eight machines. We had we had a pair of them, so each tech was able to swap between eight machines. Mostly because loading them has become easier and less. Unless the problem, uh, we just load our remote control tool on each one of them. So one tech can sit in his office and now control many of them that are in, even when they're in the office, they, they still use it. Because, you know, I think someone said it earlier, uh, the best, the best sysadmins never leave their desk. <laughs> yeah, I saw that comment come up too. Um, and I, I thought that was a great one because it is true because we're being, we're efficient. We don't want to run back and forth right. any more than we have to because that's a waste of time, let's be honest. Especially if you are an, an IT employee at a really large campus where you have to walk from one building to the next constantly to fix people's computers um it's probably better just to have remote access to make it more efficient for sure wait are you saying jay there's a chance that all this automation is making it people less healthy and sit at their desks more is this a is this related <laughs> well mental health or physical health both are important well, but i always argue that mental health is more important because you know a lot more bad can happen as a result of that so if you're taking care of your mental health at the very least i think you're probably good and i don't think mental health is really best served by um a waste of time over and over and over again <laughs> yeah but you get a breath of fresh air walking across the campus that's, that's to, true to then go find yourself aggravated that someone didn't plug something in but that's a whole different topic tales from tech support we can commiserate about forever but yep. thank you for joining us uh links are down below and you know i think someone just mentioned too jeff gearling did a video recently about this uh a kvm on it i i seen the video come up i did not watch it yet but we talked to jeff all the time he's a good friend of me mm -hmm. and jay's um yep. yes uh he did it with a compute module on there so i will go watch that video as well um obviously jeff gearling videos are always like just a source of uh, entertainment and education all combined into one. So uh, definitely oh, yeah. a good friend of the show here. Uh, one day when Jeff has a few extra minutes that we can squeeze out of him, uh, we would love to have him as a guest because he is yeah. the Raspberry Pi King. That is for sure. <laughs> yeah, we'll be definitely trying. I mean, he his is one of my favorite YouTube channels. Um, oh, yeah. And he puts so much work into his videos that that's the reason why he doesn't have time to come on here because um, the amount yeah. of work that goes into every video that he does it's, it's almost like you take any of the super advanced videos that i do and just imagine that being every single video um poor guy but hopefully we can get him on the show that'd yep. be really cool to do all right 
send your feedback over to our website. There is a spot where you can fill out the form feedback. That's where you get to ask those questions that we cover first when we do our Q&A episodes. Looking forward to hearing from you. Uh, tag us in a tweet if you built something crazy, too. That's always me and Jay love seeing all the different home oh, lab yeah. things and the wild ideas people come up with. So uh, definitely always a lot of fun. And we'll see you next time. Thank you.